Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior pastor, Dr. Chris Walker. We're turning this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. If you've been with us, you know we are in this final section of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And if you were with us last week, you know that Paul is bringing his letter to a close with this final charge to the believers there in Ephesus to remember that they are participants in a spiritual war. Last week, we focused on understanding this war that we find ourselves in. We looked at the origins of this war and Satan's rebellion against God. We looked at the objectives in this war, both God's and Satan's, and we saw the guaranteed outcome of this war that awaits Jesus' return to win the victory on the last day. This week, we want to shift our focus a bit from understanding this war now to how to be a faithful follower of Christ in the midst of this war. Because the fact is that God has not left us on our own. He has equipped us for this battle. He's given us specific instructions for how to stand firm in the midst of it. And so this morning, we want to look at God's provision for us. We'll focus particularly on verses 14 to 17, but I want to begin reading in verse 10, and we'll read down through verse 20. Let's read God's Word together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit and with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, how we thank you for this word that you've given us and how we pray that it would not be words alone, but that your spirit would come and apply them to our hearts. Would you work in us through your word to draw us to yourself and prepare us to follow you day by day this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think when it comes to the topic of spiritual warfare, the Puritan authors of the 17th century have probably given us the richest 
store of biblical guidance. As many of you would know, John Bunyan has given us a particularly helpful picture for seeing our walk in Christ and the warfare that comes with us in his book, Pilgrim's Progress. Maybe you've read Pilgrim's Progress in its original version. Maybe you've read a, a children's version, Little Pilgrim's Progress. But if you have, you know that in the story, Christian escapes the city of destruction. He enters by the gate and finds the great burden of his sin falling away, taken away at the foot of the cross. And as he looks to his Savior and feels the weight of his sin taken away, he rejoices in his salvation. But after coming to the foot of the cross, as Christian begins his journey toward the celestial city, his first stop is at the Palace Beautiful. And there at the Palace Beautiful, he's welcomed by his hosts, piety, charity, and prudence, who share stories of other pilgrims who have passed that way and about their journey, and they encourage him. But most importantly, before Christian leaves the Palace Beautiful, they tell him to expect dangers, temptations, and attacks because there are powerful enemies along the way who do all in their power to turn pilgrims aside, to tempt them away, and if that fails, to even kill them. And because of this reality, his hosts then proceed to clothe Christian from head to toe in the gleaming armor of the king. And it is only once he is equipped with this armor that they then send him on his way. And this scene, I think, is the perfect summary, a beautiful picture of Ephesians chapter 6. Last Sunday, God's Word set our expectations and told us to prepare for the temptations and the attacks of the battle to come if we walk as servants of Christ. But Paul's main point this week is that while we are insufficient in ourselves to face these spiritual forces of evil, God has not left us to ourselves. God's main point in this passage is that He has provided for us. And the provision God has given us is armor to protect us, sustain us, and give us the victory in Christ Jesus. As we look at this passage this morning, I want us to see three things. I want us to see the purpose of God's armor, the pieces of God's armor, and then our preparation to use God's armor. We'll look through this, but let's begin with the purpose of God's armor. You know, when you're first getting to know someone and you strike up conversation with them early in your relationship, you often begin to learn what is important to them. You get to know them by what seems to come up in the conversation again and again. Maybe you've met someone for the first time and you find that Pittsburgh Steelers football seems to come up every couple of sentences. Or maybe it's life advice from Brene Brown or Marie Kondo that seems to come up again and again. Maybe it's their kids. Maybe it's their new phone. But whatever seems to come up again and again tells you what's important to them. And as it turns out, the same is true when we look at Scripture. When a word or a phrase or an idea comes up again and again in a passage of Scripture, we ought to pay attention. And that's what we have in this passage. Paul writes, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Do you hear Paul's fourfold repetition of the word stand? And do you hear him say over and over that the purpose of this armor is that we might stand firm? In other words, God's goal in giving us this armor is to provide for us, to strengthen us, to enable us who have put our faith in Christ to stand, to be rooted, to be grounded, to be stable, to be firm in Christ in the face of temptations and attacks. Now when you think of the armor of God, I'm not sure what comes to mind, but uh, for me, What comes to mind first is probably the uh, innumerable Christian coloring pages. My guess is everyone in Sunday school at some point colored in the armor of God, and it was usually a smiling uh, young cartoon child dressed maybe in some fun Roman armor, and I, I would like to dress up that way, and you color it in. But those coloring pages probably don't give us a very good idea of the picture we should have as we read this passage, because Paul is describing a warrior entering a lifelong conflict that is deadly serious with our very souls at stake. Attack, suffering, loss, temptation. Temptation to frustration, despair, or discontentment. Temptation to sinfully satisfy our desires. All these things will come against us and will threaten our persevering faith and obedience. But the purpose of God's armor, we note, is not to keep these attacks from happening. Paul does not say, put on this armor, put on faith and Scripture, and all will be well. No, the purpose of the armor is to protect us when the attacks do come. It's just like the city of New Orleans. The city of New Orleans did not spend $15 billion to strengthen the levees around the city so that a hurricane would never happen. They spent the money so that when a hurricane Ida does happen, the city will be protected as the levees were able to protect them last week. And it's the same for us. God knows the attacks that we will face if we come and put our faith in Him. But God has given us this armor with one purpose in mind, that through all we might stand firm. That is God's goal. And if that is His goal, then that should be our goal as well. Which is why Paul says then in verse 14, stand therefore and take up this armor. To stand is the purpose of the armor of God. But let's spend the bulk of our time now going on to look at the pieces of God's armor. You see them in verses 14 to 17. And Paul begins by encouraging us to fasten on the belt of truth. Now, in a soldier's armor, the belt did not really contribute to your protection in and of itself, but it was the stabilizing piece that supported your outfit. It kept your tunic in place. It kept your gear where it was supposed to be so that you could fight without equipment banging into your knees or your tunic tripping you in battle. And Paul says that truth is your stabilizing or equipping foundation that will allow us to stand firm without clutter getting in our way or being tripped in the midst of our battle. Now, Paul's use of the word truth here can refer to two things. It can refer to the truth, 
so that Paul would be encouraging us to know the truth, to believe what is true, the truth of God's Word and of correct doctrine. Then the word truth can also refer to truthfulness in our character. It can refer to living with faithfulness and integrity according to what we know is true, without hypocrisy or deceit, so that Paul would be encouraging us that our actions would be unencumbered when we are living sincerely and with integrity in all we do. But the reality is, I think, as most interpreters and commentators have pointed out, that these two probably belong together. Because if we don't know the truth, if we are not committed to the truth, we'll be left casting about without any clear standard or strong ground to stand on with which to act in integrity. And so Paul's encouragement is that we fasten on this first piece of armor by knowing God's truth, by standing on God's truth, and then living faithfully, honestly, and with integrity based on the truth that we find in His Word. Well, Paul then introduces us to another piece of our armor, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was a shirt of armor that would be put on that would protect your heart, your your vital organs from fatal wounds. And Paul tells us that righteousness is our protection against an attack that could be fatal to our souls. Now again, maybe there's a question here. What do we mean with righteousness? Is our breastplate, is our protection against deadly attack, is it, is it our righteousness? Is it living righteously? Or is it Christ's perfect righteousness that He gives to us? Now, if we were talking about salvation and how we are saved, the answer is clear. That comes only from Christ's righteousness. But Paul's question here is, how do we protect? How are we protected against temptation to sin and against attack? And if that's the case, I think the answer, once again, has to be a both and. Because it is Christ's righteousness counted to us that satisfies God's holiness and protects us from judgment and shields us from Satan's accusations. When Satan would accuse us, it is Christ's righteousness that stands as our defense, which is what Paul says in Romans 8.33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. That means it is God who counts us as righteous for the sake of Christ. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that was raised who is at the right hand of God interceding for us. And so in the face of accusations and attacks against us, it is the righteousness of Christ counted to us, the righteousness of the one who has risen and stands interceding for us, that is our protection. And yet, we saw back in Ephesians chapter 4, that in Christ we have been recreated in the likeness of God according to righteousness and holiness. And we are called as children of the light to walk in what is good and what is right. It is, after all, our spirit-renewed desire for righteousness, our spirit-renewed ability to follow God's will that counters temptation to sin. And so it is a both end. It is Christ's righteousness counted to us and our commitment to righteousness by the power of the Spirit that protects us. As one writer put it, the righteousness of Christ given to us and a life lived in obedient righteousness before God are woven together in an impenetrable mail that is our breastplate 
to protect our hearts and souls. Well, thirdly, Paul goes on to talk about how we would shod our feet. What would we put on our feet in this armor of God? And he says that our feet should be clothed with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Now, in a soldier's armor, the shoes would have been firmly wrapped on, supporting the ankles and wrapped halfway up the calf. It was sort of like an extended high top for extra stability so that the soldier would not trip or buckle in the midst of battle. And Paul says that it is the readiness of the gospel of peace that is our shoes. I think it's important to note here that Paul does not say our shoes are the gospel, but rather that our shoes are the readiness of the gospel. That's an interesting phrase. And while, again, there's some back and forth amongst the commentators, I agree with the vast majority of them, that Paul is encouraging us to go about our days ready to share and proclaim the gospel. As Peter will put it in 1 Peter 3, we are to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. Or as Paul says in Romans, how beautiful are the feet, those feet clothed that are ready to proclaim good news. Now the reality is, it is easy for us if we are not careful, to shy away from the gospel, to avoid it because of conflict or ridicule, or sometimes we are just unprepared to explain Christ to those who need His salvation. And this discomfort or this reticence, this lack of preparation is both an open door for Satan to attack and to keep the gospel from going forth in this invisible war. I think I've shared with many of you before how in high school I had an open opportunity to share the gospel with a stranger that I happened to meet, and I found myself unprepared. I wasn't sure what to say. I froze. And in the years since, though I trust God's sovereignty and forgiveness, it's been a source of guilt for me over the years. It's a missed chance to share the hope of the gospel of peace with a man who is desperately looking for hope. And so Paul tells us in this battle shod our feet with the readiness to proclaim the good news of peace with God. We're to have here the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes, the readiness of the gospel of peace. Next, Paul calls us to take up the shield of faith and to take it up in all circumstances. Now, the shield described here, there were two types of shields that a Roman soldier might carry, and there were different words for them, but this shield would have been the full-body shield, more than four feet tall, more than two feet wide, that would protect the soldier against missiles that would be shot at him. It was covered with hide so that if an arrow was covered with pitch and lit on fire, the shield would not catch fire but would extinguish that flaming arrow. And faith, Paul says, is our shield because faith is trust in God. It is an unshakable confidence in His Word and in His His promises even when we don't understand or see how they will work out. And when Satan throws his fiery darts of the accusation and guilt for our sins, the shield of faith looks to God's Word and believes God when He says, confess your sins and I will be faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you for all unrighteousness. 
when Satan throws his darts of doubt and despair and fear, the shield of faith blocks them with the truth that God will never leave me nor forsake me and that nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. When Satan shoots arrows of lustful and rebellious thoughts, the shield of faith believes the words of Jesus when he says that it would be better to cut off our hand or our eye and give up any fleshly pleasure that crosses God's will than it would be to sin against God and risk my soul in hell forever. When Satan attacks with pain and loss and suffering, the shield of faith is raised with the words of Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. While we look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured even the cross itself and was then raised to the right hand of the throne of God. When Satan throws the darts of the almost but not quite true ideas and suggestions that appear attractive or the right way to go, the shield of faith says, no, your word is truth. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Whatever Satan might throw against us, the shield of faith looks to the Word of God, believes His Word, and believes His promises. As Peter puts it in 1 Peter 5, resist the devil firm in your faith. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That is faith that sustains and protects in the battle. Then Paul calls us to take up the helmet of salvation. Well, what does a helmet do? The helmet is put on our head to protect from being dazed or knocked out or even killed by a blow to the head. In 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul clarifies that the Christian's helmet is the hope of salvation. It is the guarantee of what is ahead because of what Christ has done. It is our knowledge that, Christ, that God has acted in history, sending His own Son to the cross to die in our place, to take our sins, and then to rise again for the dead, that whoever believes in Him will be saved. It is our confidence that our salvation is secure in Christ that keeps us from being dazed or knocked out in the face of attack. That's essentially what Paul describes his hope of salvation as he talks about the battles raging in his own life in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart for our light and momentary afflictions are working out for us an eternal weight of glory. That is the certain hope of salvation that meets us and protects our head when Satan is attacking on all sides. Well, the last piece of equipment Paul mentions is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the sword was both an offensive and a defensive weapon. The Roman sword was actually fairly short. It was only about 18 inches long a fairly small piece of equipment, but it was the main fighting weapon and was 
particularly effective when it was used together with the shield. And Paul says that in the Christian's armor, this effective weapon, the sword that's given to us by the Spirit of God, is the Word of God. Now, you wouldn't know this by reading the English translation, but I think it is important to note that Paul chose a particular Greek word here. The Greek word he chose for the Word of God refers to specific words and specific phrases that God has given us. In other words, the sword of the Spirit is not the message or the truths of Scripture as a whole, though we certainly cling to those. The sword of the Spirit is the specific words or specific sayings of Scripture that God has given to us and spoken to us and that Paul assumes that we will know and use to stand firm. And of course, this is exactly how Jesus used the Word of God to stand against temptation as well, wasn't it? When Satan attacked Jesus in the middle of the desert, Jesus did not respond with general truths about God. He could have done that perhaps, but he did not do that. Instead, he responded with specific words from Scripture, quoting Deuteronomy three times to enable him to stand firm against the devil. And as Pastor Jim Boyce concluded years ago, if Jesus, your Lord and Savior, had to know Scripture in order to resist Satan and win a victory over him, how much more do you and I need to know Scripture to win a like victory. So brothers and sisters, we need to know the Word of God. Doctrine is important, yes, but we need to know the specific Word of God. For it is as we know His Word and as the Spirit applies and brings to mind that Word to our hearts, it's that Word of God that completes our armor and enables us to stand firm. Now if we could step back and and consider these pieces of God's armor. I want you to note how two times Paul said, put on the whole armor of God. He takes pains to emphasize not just putting on armor, but putting on the whole armor. Because while each piece of armor is a gift from God, putting on only one piece of God's armor is not sufficient in itself any more than a soldier in Rome would have thought himself ready to defeat the enemy by popping a a helmet on his head and waltzing out to battle. No, he needs all his armor. And we too need the whole armor of God. Truth and righteousness, faith and salvation, readiness to proclaim the gospel and the word of God. And it is when we see the armor all together when we have it and put it on all together that we have the protection that we need. And so maybe as you reflect on God's Word today, maybe you might ask yourself, have I taken up the whole armor of God? Are there any pieces of God's armor that I am not leaning on, putting on, and taking up? Where are Satan's attacks heaviest in my life right now? What piece of armor do I need to particularly fasten on so that I might have the whole armor protecting me in my walk with Christ? But there's one other thing we need to also understand from this picture. Because some, I think, have imagined that Paul was maybe in his cell writing this letter to the Ephesians, and maybe he glanced over and saw the Roman soldier standing next to him. And as he saw that Roman soldier 
He was inspired by that soldier's armor to, to think of this analogy, this picture for our protection in spiritual war. But as many others have noted, I don't think Paul was inspired here by a Roman soldier. I think he was remembering his Old Testament. Because see, in Isaiah, Isaiah describes these very pieces of armor as belonging to God's Messiah first. In Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah talks of the Spirit of the Lord coming upon the Messiah so that faithfulness or trueness to His character and His Word will be strapped on as a belt around His waist. In Isaiah 59, Isaiah describes God's initiative to act on behalf of His sinful people. And he says, God put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on His head. And Isaiah 52 marvels how beautiful are the feet of the One who brings a gospel, a good news of peace. Do you see how Paul is drawing on the armor that Isaiah had used to describe the Messiah? And of course, the New Testament completes the picture. The New Testament shows us Jesus who used the sword of the Word of God to defeat Satan and who held up the shield of faith and His Father's promises in Word to enable Him to endure the cross until He sat down at the right hand of God. You see the point, don't you? The armor of God is nothing less than the very character of God lived out in the life of Jesus first. He is the one, Jesus is the one who put on the belt of truth who strapped on the breastplate of righteousness, who put the helmet of salvation on his head, whose feet were ready to proclaim the good news of peace with God, and who parried every attack with the sword of God's word. And you put in front of him the shield of faith and his father's promises. And so suddenly this passage comes to life in a new way, because this passage is not a random collection of good spiritual principles. This passage is actually God's promise to take the armor that protected His own Son and to give it to us. God says here, this armor is proven to protect my own Son against the worst attacks of the enemy. Now I give it to you. Put it on. Take it up. And you too will stand to the end. See, this is God's provision. It is His gift to us applied to us through His Spirit, that we might stand. Well, finally and very briefly, let me end with a comment on our preparation to use God's armor. So the reality is, we could have the best armor in the entire world. We could have Iron Man's suit, Captain America's shield, and Thor's hammer, and it would be completely useless to us if it was sitting next to us in a pile while we lounged on the grass. See, God's armor is only of help to us if we take it up and put it on. That's why Paul uses these active words all through the passage. Put on the whole armor of God. Take up the whole armor of God. Fasten on the belt. Put on the breastplate and the shoes. Take up the shield and helmet. You see how he's giving us this active command to take up this armor Paul, of course, adds in verse 18, keep alert with all perseverance. There's an attitude of readiness, of of alertness, of action to take up 
the gifts of God that characterize God's people in obedience. Maybe you think back to to Exodus chapter 12. God has promised that He is going to lead His people out of Egypt in the middle of the night as the angel of death will come into Egypt and lead their deliverance. So what are they to do? Eat a Passover meal with their belt fastened, their shoes already on their feet, their staff in their hand, that they might be ready to go, alert and ready to take God's salvation at the moment that it's provided. Jump to the New Testament. What does Peter tell us? Prepare your minds for action. Be watchful. What does Jesus tell us in Mark 13? No one knows when Christ will return and the last day will arrive. So be on guard. Keep awake. Be alert. You know, the other great Puritan writer who was writing about their spiritual warfare, William Gurnall, reminds us, he says, in heaven we will appear not in armor, but in robes of glory. What a great hope that is. But here... Here, on this earth, in this life, armor must be worn night and day. So we must be alert. We must put on the armor so that we will be prepared to fight the battles that come our way. That is the call for us. Of course, we cannot fight this battle alone. In fact, on our own, we keep siding with the enemy. We are often continually tempted back towards his actions and his objectives. But God has acted and sent his own son who stepped into our shoes and took the punishment we deserved. And now he comes to us if we have put our faith in him and he walks with us every step of the way, securing us as his until we arrive in eternal glory with him. If we have looked to him in faith, God now offers us God now gives us Jesus' own armor as his provision for the battle. And that should not make us complacent. It should encourage us to take up truth with integrity. It should encourage us to put on righteousness in dependence on Christ. Faith in the promises and presence of God. Readiness to proclaim the gospel of peace. The guaranteed hope of salvation. And to take up the word of God on our hearts and on our lips. For in doing so, we have God's provision that we might be strengthened in the strength of His might, that we might stand until the last day. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we know our own weakness, but how thankful we are for Christ. How thankful we are that You have given us Your Son whose death and resurrection comes to us now through faith as our salvation. And how thankful we are that You have given us this armor, this belt of truth, this breastplate of righteousness, these shoes of readiness to proclaim the gospel, a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, a sword of the Word of God. And how I pray that each of us would be ready and prepared to take up this armor day by day, that we might stand firm. We know temptations will come. We know we will be lured towards the world. We know we will be tempted to despair. We know we will be attacked and suffering will come. 
Thank you, Father, for giving us protection and provision that will stand. May we rest in it and take it up in faith in you. We pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.